One of the questions that I ask myself all the time when I have the privilege of standing here uh, and speaking from God's Word is, what, what do the people of God need to hear? What's the message that really needs to be proclaimed from this spot at this time in our history? And when you think about what's going on in our culture, this is a day when, when churches, not just churches of Christ, but when churches of all sorts are plateaued, are in decline. This is a day when there seems like there's so much division and com- confusion uh, in, our, in our world. Uh, this is a day when there's a lot of uh, social and moral change. So much so that we feel less and less at home and, and more and more like, like exiles. What word do we need to hear at this point? And I really think we need a fresh reminder of the glory and the goodness of God. And so today we're beginning a a brand new message series that that I'm calling Behold Our God. And we're going to be looking in this wonderfully rich section of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to be looking at all the ways that that God is described in this incredible chapter. I think in a beautiful way, Isaiah helps us to see more and more of God. And I believe it's imperative that people see that God is beautiful. A beauty that, that maybe they've never known. And yet anytime I speak on, on this grand subject, Quite frankly, I feel so inadequate as a a preacher. How can I describe God? J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, begins with this line, As clowns have wanted to play Hamlet, so I have wanted to write a treatise on God. And every time I stand in this place with the audacity to speak a word for God, that's exactly how I feel. I'm drawn to an ancient prayer. Augustine, you may or may not know, lived in the uh, mid-300s, early 400s, and he, he, other than the Apostle Paul, Augustine may have had uh, as much influence on the church, particularly in that era, as anyone. And and Augustine wrote this prayer that was really uh, just, just so beautiful. He writes, O God most high, most good, most powerful, most tender-hearted and most just, most remote and most present, most beautiful and most vigorous, stable and ungraspable, unchanging yet changing all things, never new yet never old, renewing all things. And what have we said, my God, my life, my holy delight, or what can anyone say? who speaks of you, and alas, for those who are silent about you. I like that phrase when he said, what can anyone say who speaks for you? And he calls God my, there's a a personal tone in this prayer, my most holy delight. Because there's incredible joy in knowing God. There's incredible ecstasy in in coming to see who God is and coming closer to God. And so that's what we want to do over these next few weeks. Rather than 
me saying what I think God is, I want us to read Isaiah 40. Because Isaiah, in a very beautiful way, helps us to see some things about God that are so relevant and so important as we strive to live for Him. Now, I want to begin uh, by looking at the book of Isaiah as a whole and maybe do, do just a little bit of teaching this morning so that we might gain a, a, a better appreciation for the whole book. And then a little later on in this message, we're going to drill down, especially in Isaiah chapter 40. But Isaiah, in, Isaiah, in, this, in this book, really is writing to some people who are, who are struggling. Beginning in chapter 40, there's a, there's a shift in the book. Isaiah is no longer addressing the people of Judah in his own day, but in Isaiah 40 on, Isaiah, much like, much like John in the New Testament and the book of Revelation, John is helping us to have this incredible vision and he's peering into the future. Isaiah is doing the same thing. Isaiah is helping us see ahead, see into the future. And he's saying to the people of God, who are in exile, who one day will be in Babylonian uh, captivity, he's saying to them, God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. Your best days are still in front of you. And, you know, in many ways, I feel like that's a great message for our church. Because I look back in the past, I see God has had His hand on this church. God has blessed College Hills in incredible ways. I mean, we, we sacrificed and we gave and we moved into this building debt free. Moved into this building now, we're debt free. We pioneered all sorts of wonderful ministries. People's lives have been impacted. But as wonderful and beautiful as the past is, God, God has a bright future for us. And I believe the best days are still ahead. Now, the book of Isaiah is called by some the fifth gospel. We may wonder, why is that? The fifth gospel? I thought there were four gospels. Well, there are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Isaiah is called the fifth gospel for a number of reasons. One is, there are all sorts of gospel allusions in Isaiah. Isaiah uses these images, and the New Testament writers will pick up those images and apply them to Jesus. So, for instance, in verse 14, sound familiar to you Isaiah seven fourteen says the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel now you know anytime you're reading a prophetic book there's a there's a close interpretation there's something going on historically in that moment and then there's the broad view there's something going on in the future well those New Testament writers they understood that Isaiah was speaking about this Messiah who would come Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6, Isaiah speaks of the Prince of Peace, and of course we know that to be Jesus. Or in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, it's one who will be light for the Gentiles. It says, eyes of those that are blind and free captives from prison. In Isaiah chapter 61, we have this, this well-known passage of Scripture where Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And you know, hundreds of years later, when Jesus begins His ministry, Jesus walks into the temple, He unrolls the scroll, He's come home, every eye is on Him. People are wondering, what will Jesus say? He reads Isaiah 61, and then He looks at the crowd and says, Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
And this is just a small sampling of all the interesting allusions found in Isaiah that we can apply to Jesus. But, but even the book itself is arranged as a kind of mini-Bible. Let me show you what I mean. How many books are there in, in the Bible as a whole? Well, you know the answer to that. It's 66. There's 66 books. 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. How many chapters are in Isaiah? Well, there are 66. And if you think about how Isaiah is broken down, the first 39 chapters in Isaiah have a very Old Testament feel. Themes like, like exile and judgment are dealt with in the first 39 chapters. And from 40 to 66, those chapters have a very New Testament feel. And themes like homecoming and deliverance are found. If you listen carefully to the scripture reading this morning, we started in Isaiah 40. In verse 3, you hear these words that should sound very familiar to you. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in a desert a highway for our God. Now that, that's Isaiah 40 in verse 3. But the interesting thing is, when we come to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those New Testament writers understand this is what John the baptizer was about. This is what his ministry was. It was preparing the way for the Lord. You know how the New Testament ends, right? In Revelation 21 and 22, we have this incredible vision and we have this idea of the new heaven and new earth. In fact, John says in Revelation chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. And it's an incredible vision. How do you think Isaiah's book ends? It's fascinating. In Isaiah 65 and 66, guess what Isaiah's talking about? He's talking about... That's right, the new heaven and the new earth. And so in Isaiah 66, in verse 22, here's what Isaiah says. As, as the new heavens and the new earth endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. You can see Isaiah is almost like it's, it's a mini-Bible. But Isaiah finally could be called the fifth gospel because the New Testament's use of the word gospel is largely rooted in Isaiah's use of that same word. And so in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9, it says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news or gospel. You who bring the good news or you who bring the gospel to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah... Here is your God. And that's the message that Isaiah brings in chapter 40. And that's the message we're going to look at for the next few weeks. Here is your God. And so we see all these incredible descriptions. Next week we'll look at verse 5 especially where Isaiah talks about the, the glory of God. Isaiah says there's coming a day when the glory of God will, will be revealed. We wonder, what does that word mean? That's a big, expressive word. It's, it's very important that we understand that and apply it to our lives. In verse 8, Isaiah tells us the word of God will last ever. We'll discuss how this changing world needs something that's our true north, we need something that lasts. We're part of a culture that's constantly changing, but the, the Word of God endures forever. Isaiah 40 and verse 10 tells us about the power of God. 
Do you ever feel weak? Do you need a, a message that will help us understand how that power from God can be appropriated in our lives? I think we do. And then in contrast to the power of God, in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11, Isaiah helps us to understand something of the compassion of God. He describes God as, as the shepherd who gathers the lambs and he holds these lambs close to his heart. That lamb can hear the heartbeat of the shepherd. That reminds us a lot of John 10, doesn't it? Where Jesus himself is described as the good shepherd. In verses 13 and 14, Isaiah helps us to understand the wisdom of God. And it's interesting, these two verses, Isaiah 40, 13 and 14, these verses are quoted twice in your New Testament. And we're especially going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul helps us to understand it's by the Holy Spirit of God that we're able to apply this wisdom and know this wisdom. And finally in verse 25, Isaiah asks a great question. To whom will you compare me? And if we were to answer that question, we would all have to say no one. We can't compare God to anyone. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at this beautiful, beautiful passage sometimes people wonder what's going to be preached this week what what should i read to prepare you read isaiah 40 and you'll be prepared every sunday morning as we gather in this space to think about the, the grandeur and the glory and the might of god but i guess the question i want to ask as we conclude today is how will a bigger view of god how will isaiah's view of god help us what are we going to accomplish in this series I want to suggest, first of all, that, that a bigger view of God will help us and will affect how we worship. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this incredible moment when he walks into the temple. It's, it's a moment of worship, and it says, I saw the Lord. What did Isaiah see? Well, he tells us he saw God high and exalted. He sees God seated on a throne. Now, Isaiah had this experience during a time of national crisis. We understand in the very first verse of Isaiah chapter 6 that King Uzziah had just died. Anytime a national leader dies, it presents a moment of crisis in our nation. For instance, some of you are old enough to remember where you were when President Kennedy died. Now, I'm not going to ask your hands to raise your hands if you remember that. Uh, I don't remember that. But I talked to my dad a lot. My dad could say, I knew exactly where I was. I knew how I heard it. I knew, I remember how it affected me. Some of you remember this. Others of you remember uh, the day that Martin Luther King Jr. Was, was killed. You remember where you were. You remember how deeply that, that affected you. I, I remember when Ronald Reagan was, was shot. Uh, I, I, was, I was a young boy, but I still remember that. And those of you who who remember Reagan, you remember how Reagan had this, this marvelous sense of humor. And so after he was shot, the story goes, he was rolled you know, into the surgical suite and he sees these, these surgeons about to work on him and he looks at them and he says, I sure hope you guys are Republicans. <laughs> and the surgeon at that moment looked down at him and said, President Reagan, today we're all Republicans. But when, when someone is... is a national leader is, is attacked, we remember that. Those moments create a time of national crisis. And so we wonder, what's going to go on? What's, what's going to happen? Everything seems 
of control. And that was happening in Isaiah's day. In Isaiah chapter 6, Uzziah the king had just died. And so what did, what did Isaiah see? He goes into the temple and he has this, this vision of God. He looks up and he sees these angelic beings calling to one, one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. He has a vision of the king. And Isaiah's response to that vision, that moment of worship, always, it really astounds me. Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, a clear picture of God. And that's what we should experience in worship. A clear picture of God puts everything else in perspective. When we see God, And when we gather as the Lord's people to worship God, we ought to see God. And when we do, we see our own sense of brokenness. We understand our own sense of need. I like how Max Licato once put it. He says, when you you come into the presence of God, you don't brag, you beg. When you see God lifted up high and holy, you're made aware of your own need. You see, smug, satisfied, arrogant people don't worship very well. When we see God and see ourselves, we I think it'll affect how we we worship. But I'm going to tell you something else it should affect. When we see God and have a vision of God, it not only should affect our 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 worship, it should affect our witness. As I in Isaiah six, as we've just said, Isaiah says, I am ruined. His own awareness of his, of his sin, it, it opened the door for forgiveness. And then in an act of pure grace, a coal is taken from the altar, this, this place of atonement. A coal is taken from the altar, and an angel touches the lips of, of Isaiah with that coal, and it says his sins are atoned for. He receives what he neither expects or deserves. I love how Tim Keller does such wonderful writing. He summarizes the gospel in such a clear and compelling way. Keller says this. He's summarizing the gospel. He says, you are more sinful than you've ever dared to believe. And you are more loved than you've ever dared to hope. And that's hinted at here in Isaiah chapter 6. But it's made abundantly clear on the cross. Jesus went to the cross because of his love and our need. And on the cross, he takes our sin and he makes his righteousness available to all who trust him by faith. When Isaiah experienced the atonement for his sin, he was so deeply moved that he said, after God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, pick me. Here I am. Send me you see when we experience grace and forgiveness of god it affects our witness when we really experience grace when we really experience forgiveness when we know our lives were a mess and yet we turned away from that and we turned to god and and god has now given us forgiveness and meaning and hope and mission and all the rest suddenly now we have something to tell somebody suddenly we have a witness I wonder sometimes we don't have much to tell people because we haven't experienced much of God. When we experience God, then we'll have something to tell others. 
And so I guess what I'm saying is, is this. Your view of God is the third thing I want to say. Our, our, our view of God will affect our worship. Our view of God should affect our witness. But finally, our view of God should affect our walk. Our walk with God. Your view of God should affect how you walk with God. You see, it's easy in a message series like this just to list all these attributes. God is good, and God is powerful, and God is this, and God is sovereign. And we did that just a few moments ago as we read from Isaiah chapter 40. But my question is, how will these understandings affect you and me? How will this make a difference in our lives? You see, often we struggle with what, I, what I'll call practical atheism. We say we believe in God, but frankly, we live as if we do not. So our problems are big and overwhelming. We're experiencing difficulty and hardship. Well, how do we deal with that? Well, if we're not careful, we deal with it just like our unsaved friends do. If we're not careful, we face our problems just like our, our friends who don't have the power of God in their life. But you see, we know a God who's all-powerful, and we know a God who's made that power available to us. I meet people all the time. People who are in Christ, people who have walked with Jesus for 30 or 40 years, and they have all this fear and trembling in them. They wonder, am I going to be saved? Am I going to, when I stand before God, is it going to be okay? We're living like our unbelieving friends. They have no hope. But you see, we're different. We have hope. We've accepted Jesus. So we need to hear a passage like Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. 7 verse 25 where the Hebrew writer says therefore he is able to save completely those who come to him through faith because he always lives to intercede for them understand Jesus is on your side Jesus is on my side this passage says he saves partially he kindness no it he saves completely those who come and so we ought to walk with have a sense of security and walk with a sense of joy because we, if we're in Christ, we know one day we're going to stand in front of God and God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Our view of God is so important. It will ultimately affect our worship of God, our witness for God, and our walk with God. And so over the next few weeks... My prayer is that as we read Isaiah chapter 40, this can be a transformative moment for us. It's going to impact how we come together on Sunday. You see, if you have a majestic and, and, and big view of God, you're going to be the kind of person who says, I, I can't wait to be there on Sunday. I can't wait to be there to worship God with my whole heart, soul, and mind and strength. You're going to be the kind of person, if you have a big view of God, who says, I've got a message. God saved my life. I, my life was in the pit, but now I'm saved. And, and so you're going to have something to tell friends and neighbors. You're going to be the kind of person, your life is different because of your walk with God. Not perfect, but different. When you have struggle or difficulty or hardship in your life, it'll still be hard and you'll still struggle, but understand Understand, you'll face those troubles differently because you have God as your God is God as your Father and Jesus as your Savior and the Holy Spirit living in your heart.